everybody. Hey, thanks for being here. This is, this will be the, uh, um, get ready to cry. This will be our last time meeting together for Revelation for the summer. Um, and, yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. You, you, we need to get you, we need to get you an Enneagram test, Steve, and see an Enneagram test and, and see what number he is. What's the number for, you know, comedians? Seven. Maybe, yeah. So, yeah. Now, I really, really like what Annette had to say, uh, especially she had me at three. She had me at three because I'm a, I'm a three. I'm an introverted three. That's the thing. So... Uh, anyway, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, this will be the this will be the last Revelation study for the summer. Um, there, there is still the prayer service next week at six o'clock. Um, Millie Cagle will, uh, will will be leading music uh, along along with Jared, and um, so make sure you're here for that. But we won't meet because I'll I'll be in Africa. So, uh, be, you know, you can be thinking just. This time next week, please don't text me because it's 2.42 a.m. there. So send me your thoughts. Don't send me a text. Um, but no, we're going to have a good time. I'm excited about it. Uh, but we will pick up the, the first week of August. Okay, so first week of August, we'll be back at it, and we'll finish up Revelation. When I think I'll have four, four or five more. Um, but anyway, tonight we'll be in Revelation chapters 14 and uh, and into 15. So I'm excited about it. Let's uh, let's jump in. We um, we are on on just the other side of hearing about the beast, the mark of the beast, six six six, and and all that. It was really uh, a really vivid, um, scary vision that we kind of walked through last week, and this week um, we get. A, a, a much different scene. It's not as frightening, if you will. There, there aren't descriptions of, of dragons and beasts and monsters so much as there are a couple of different metaphors that uh, a couple of different uh, ways of communicating to us that a very clear decision needs to be made by every one of us. So we live in a world that's full of options. Um, if you want to go, one of my favorite places to get a cheeseburger is Five Guys. I love Five Guys. And, um, but, I, but I'll eat a cheeseburger from anywhere. But I, I really like Five Guys. And what's neat about Five Guys is you go and you say, I want a cheeseburger. And just remember, if you just order a cheeseburger, it's the double patty. You got to get a little cheeseburger to get the single patty. Just, you know, just pro tip there. Um, but, uh, but anyway, and then you look up behind it because they say, what do you want on it? And there's everything. And if you say onions, they're going to ask you raw or grilled, you know? Um, and and all, there's all these options up there. And so it's fun whenever Cameron and I go because Cameron is a total cheese and ketchup. That's it. Okay. I'm like, you know, lettuce and onions, grilled or raw. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, um, and uh, pickles, and I, I just, I, I like everything on there. And there's all these options. And so we're kind of used to, uh, we're kind of used to getting options on almost everything. 
and we tend to want options, you know, in the color of the car that we drive and the color of hair that we have and, and all different kinds of things where we want options. And sometimes we can tend to think and, and, and really want options for our spiritual life and options for the decisions that the Lord puts in front of us and the Lord will say, you know, it's, this is a decision where you're either going to go to the right or to the left. You're either going to choose what is right or what is wrong. You're going to follow the lamb or you're going to follow the beast. And a lot of us would be like, well, how about let's talk some options to those two decisions. But we really don't have that. So because of all the options we have at our fingertips, things like religions, life choices, commitments, virtues, truth, and other pivotal realities are often treated like options on a menu. But Revelation, in particular, this chapter of Revelation, 14 and 15, these chapters have a way of reducing all sorts of countless options down to two very powerful realities. There is the way of the lamb, and there is the way of the dragon. And in Revelation, there is no other way. And so that, that's it. And there are very real consequences for whichever path you choose. And so Revelation kind of puts things out there. And as I, as I studied it, there are two, um, two kind of powerful metaphors, if you were, two, two principles, if you will, that, that uh, kind of came, jumped off the page for me. And, and the, 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 the first one is the principle of the path that's kind of the first principle. The first thing that jumped off the page to me was the principle of the path. The second thing that jumped off the page was the law of the harvest. And I'll, I'll unpack these. And then there was a, a, a third amazing reality behind why we get the gift of making a choice at all. Okay, so let's jump into that. The, the first thing that I think we see here in Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, is the principle of the path. And here's the principle of the path. You've probably heard me say this before. Your direction determines your destination. Your direction, not your intentions. Your direction determines your destination. Your intentions can go in any number of um, thoughts. But if I, if I get in my car, where, well, tomorrow, if... Uh, if um, I jump in, the, jump in the, the van with the mission team and we head to the airport and my intention is to end up in Tanzania. That may be my intention, but if I get separated from the group because I think, oh, look, shiny things, and I go and follow the shiny things and somehow, some way, I get on a plane that is headed to Key West, tempting, but, uh, but and I head to Key West. It doesn't matter if my intention was to get to Tanzania. If I get on a plane that points its nose in the direction of Key West, where am I going to end up? Key West. Okay. Don't give me any ideas. Um, and so that's really the principle of the path. Direction determines destination. Your direction determines where you end up, not your intention. So a couple of questions here that will help determine what is our direction. And, and Revelation chapter 14 opens up by, by kind of laying out here, 
you are going to end up in a destination, an eternal destination, and that is determined by the direction that you take. So the question is, who are you following? Who are you following? So let's jump in. Then I looked, there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Remember, foreheads and, um, and, and, and wrist or hands are signs of loyalty and devotion, okay? Um, and so they had the name of the lamb and the father written on their foreheads. They were devoted to the lamb. 144,000 is a multiple of 12, 12 times 12. 12 being a number indicating the people of God. 12 from the Jewish people of God, 12 indicating the uh, non-Jewish people of God, the complete people of God multiplied here. So that's where we're getting this number. And I heard a sound from heaven, and here, here goes John again, trying his darndest, if you will, to describe what he's hearing. And listen to this description. I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a, like a, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. Have you ever heard a harpist playing their harp and you think thunder rushing waters? Okay, no, but that doesn't mean that John is off base here. Again, he's trying to use finite human language to describe something he's hearing that is just absolutely otherworldly. Um, this is a big sound he's hearing, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Um, the 144,000 and the lamb, these are the same as the, as the crowd mentioned in Revelation 7. This is not the first time we've heard the, the complete people of God referenced as a group of 144,000. So we see this showing up again. Verse three, and they sing a new song before the Lord, before the throne, I'm sorry, before the four living creatures, the four living creatures representing um, all, of, all of creation, all of the uh, 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 animal kingdom, and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. Okay, before you throw tomatoes at me, ladies, uh, this does sound quite misogynistic. Uh, it's not as misogynistic as it sounds on the surface. I'll, I'll explain that, uh, that last sentence in just a moment. But what you have here is this is the song of the redeemed. And it's, um, it, it's, it's reminding us here that these are the people who have been redeemed from the earth because of their decision to be devoted to the lamb and to follow the lamb. And that is why when they sing this song, this is not a song that anyone can just sing and pick up. This is the song of the redeemed. Um, so there is, again, there's, they, have, they are in this place. They are at this destination because of who they have chosen to follow. They have followed the lamb. They have this song. Now, verse four, not defiling themselves with women, the reference to defilement with women, uh, it's not as bad as it sounds at first. There's kind of a, a kind of an, it's probably written somewhere, but in the culture uh, of holy warriors, okay, whenever someone was involved in a holy war, uh, for instance, when, when David's men would go off to battle or things like that, they were to abstain from sex for the duration of the campaign. This is a big reason why in the scandal with David and Bathsheba, 
Number one, it's, it's why it wasn't a good thing for David to be at home. He should have been out with his men. Um, instead, he was at home and, and, and enjoying himself. But when Uriah was brought back and David kept trying to get him to go home to be with Bathsheba, it's a big reason why he said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. They were not supposed to engage in, in sex during the military campaign. So, um, so to follow such an order was to present oneself pure for battle. Okay, that's kind of the terminology. So this verse four, it was, it was disobedience that would make the action of, of having sex defiling, not the women making it defiling, okay? So hold your tomatoes there. Uh, it was the disobedience that would defile someone, not women defiling them. So, but, but these people, they didn't defile themselves. They presented themselves as pure for battle. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. The principle of the path, your direction determines your destination. You end up with the lamb if you follow the lamb and only if you follow the lamb. And here's that phrase again, they were purchased, redeemed, okay? They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths, they are blameless. The only way they are blameless is because they had been purchased. They didn't purchase this on their own. Remember, Paul writes, you were bought with a price. You're not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. So uh, again, you'll hear me say it a lot that God's plan is to redeem this world and redeem us in this world, redeem us from the, the world system, but to redeem this world for God's glory. So again, they are where they are because of who, who they've chosen to follow. And uh, the bullet point that I put there is who we really trust is determined by who we depend on to provide for us. And this has some links going back to whenever, um, I think it was last week's lesson, where those who took the mark of the beast did so so that they could buy and sell and trade and it brought the question, what do we fear more? Do we fear more losing our lives or our livelihood? You know, is it more about, oh, I'm, 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 I'm gonna be killed or I'm gonna live, but I'm gonna be very uncomfortable. You know, and I like my creature comforts. And so what would be, you know, it's, it's a very real question. Uh, would you, you know, would we give ourselves over in devotion to maintain our comfort level, to maintain our livelihood. Um, and so what these folks did is they trusted the lamb to provide for them. And who we really trust is determined by who we depend on to provide for us. So the principle of the path, direction determines destination. Who are you following? Who are you following? The other thing here, who are you listening to? Who are you following? And, and, you know, the following is kind of, a, kind of an uh, exterior thing. You know, I'm, 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 following, I'm following the lamb. I'm taking the steps. I'm, you know, may you, be, uh, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi was kind of the way uh, uh, spoken of that uh, disciples would follow their rabbi so closely that, you know, this metaphorical idea of the dust getting kicked up and covering those who followed. So who are you following? But then there's this other question, this other aspect. Who are you listening to? Whose directions are you following? And this, this has kind of an interior development. 
what influences are you letting in? Okay, and we're gonna see this. This kind of jumped off the page at me uh, in, in verse six. Then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim, to proclaim, to, to, to preach forth, to speak forth to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, a loud voice, and this is, this is a word, uh, th- this phrase here, a loud voice, is um, part of where we get the word acoustics from. This is a re- reverberating sound. The question is, the sound is there. Are we listening? Are we taking it in? So the angel's flying in midair, meaning he's got a good vantage point for, for all of us to hear. And he's saying in a loud voice, not whispering so that you miss it, saying in a loud voice, the gospel, the eternal gospel. Here's what he said in a loud voice. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. That's the proclamation. This is the gospel. Worship him. Follow him. Are we listening to this? Are we taking this in? Is it, is it reverberating in, in us? Verse eight, a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Now, you remember last week, the, uh, the, 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 the beast, the other beast, and the dragon. 666, failure, 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 failure. The whole chapter talking about how um, they had this, this imitation trinity that's trying to deceive people. That with, the, uh, with, with the, the beast, one of the beasts had all these heads and one of the heads looked like it had a mortal wound but it had been healed. So they have an imitation resurrection story. And it's just this cheap imitation of, of, of the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we learned last week is, is that it was almost a comedy of failure. Failure upon failure upon failure upon failure. Failure to kill the, the, failure to kill the woman clothed in the sun and the moon. Okay, remember the woman. Failure to consume her child when it was born. Failure to catch the child when, uh, when, when the child was snatched away. Failure to kill the woman when she went into the wilderness and was carried away. Failure upon failure upon failure. The area, the, the geographical area that has given itself over to the way of the beast and the other beast and the, the fake statue that's talking and the dragon is called Babylon, okay? Now Babylon here is kinda, it's kind of a code word for Rome, for, for the original audience. And here's what's interesting about that. Babylon and Rome were the two powers who destroyed temples, okay? when the Temple of Solomon was destroyed, and then when, uh, um, uh, uh, whenever in 70 AD, whenever Rome came in and destroyed the second temple. And so hearing Babylon, Rome, these are, these are the powers that came in and destroyed temples. Babylon references Rome here, but also symbolizes any power opposing Christ and his people. And so in, in verse eight, I'm sorry, back in verse six, there's this angel proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the gospel. In verse eight, 
Another angel is saying fallen is Babylon the great, speaking in the past tense. Why is that important? Because knowing that Babylon is doomed to fall will warn everybody tempted to place their trust in Babylon not to do it. Because as we're, as, as we're gonna see, there is gonna be every appearance that the powers of the dragon are winning. That's gonna come, it's gonna look that way. In fact, um, you know, spoiler alert, skipping to the end of the book of Revelation, just in case you're wondering, right? Uh, whenever, whenever John talks about the, um, the, the kings of the earth who follow the beast and the false prophet and the dragon and, and everything, it, it talks about they will, um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna butcher the exact quotation, but the idea is they will reign for an hour. It will rain for an hour. But then when you get to Revelation chapter 20, the reign of Christ is a thousand years. And thousand is, is, is a number that's used to indicate completion and, full, and, and fullness. So compared to the one hour where it seems like evil is winning, the power of God is complete and total and, and final. But there's gonna be that temptation when you're living in the midst of the hour because of the results that you'll see to maybe trust in Babylon, whatever Babylon is. For the, for the original audience, Babylon was Rome. Or Babylon was any power that's setting itself up against Christ. And it can be tempting at times. When it seems like evil is winning, and as Dark Helmet said in Spaceballs, good is dumb, <laughs> it can feel like we should give up. But remember, the, the scripture even says, don't become weary in doing good. And why, why would we be encouraged not to grow weary in doing good? Because sometimes doing good will just wear you out. And you think, I don't, I don't know. Is, is this pointless? Is this fruitless? Don't stop listening. Don't stop listening. So reminding the original audience, reminding us that Babylon, whatever Babylon is for us, and Babylon for them was Rome, knowing that Babylon, whatever power is setting itself up against Christ, knowing that it's doomed to fall, will warn us against placing confidence in it. In other words, here is this acoustic reverberating message of the good news and of who to worship and who to follow and who to trust going out to every nation, tribe, and tongue according to verse seven, six and seven. And the second angel is saying, don't for a minute listen to the fake, false, failing reverberations of powers that set themselves up against Christ. Verse nine, a third angel followed them and said, here we go, a loud voice, acoustic. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. There's the way of the dragon, there's the way of the lamb. There is no other way. The principle of the path, your direction determines your destination, and there are only two directions here. And so this is a warning, a very sobering warning by these angels. Now, the word worship. If you break it down, it's worth-ship, worth-ship. It's that in which you are placing your identity, 
that to which you were ascribing worth. So when we worship, who we worship, what we worship, we're saying, I am bowing down and giving glory, honor, value to this person, this thing, this object, this hobby, this whatever it is. And the angels here are saying, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. If anyone worships the beast, to the beast you'll go. They will, uh, moving on to uh, the next verse, they will, who? Who is they? Anyone who worships the beast. Here's the destination. Here's the consequence. They'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Patient endurance. Because like the people of God in the book of Isaiah, beginning around chapter 40, it was seeming for those people that waiting for, trusting in, and following after God just wasn't worth it anymore. And Isaiah comes to them and encourages them and, and tells them, keep on listening, keep on following, don't give up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. And also writing, don't grow weary in doing good, for there will be a harvest. And remember that, remember that. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, and if I'm John, I'm going, I already have been as fast as I can. Okay, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. I mean, those who are living, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. But blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for, for their deeds will follow them. So here's the thing. We can neither dismiss the reality of judgment we can't do that, nor can we close off the reality of hope. That's what to me is so fascinating about chapter 14, that there is heavy-duty wrath here, heavy-duty wrath, um, sobering warnings, sulfur and smoke can torment, Ooh. oh my, right? Being with the beast in its image, if that's who you worship, that's who you're gonna end up with. And even uh, kind of an exhortation, kind of an uh, encouragement slash warning to Christians to remain faithful, to endure patiently. And so there is this hope. We can't close off the reality of hope because Babylon is doomed. That's why it's so important here that in verse 8, the angel, the second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen, past tense, is Babylon the great. Fallen, doomed to fall, doomed to fall. Which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. I, I like that phrase because it talks about the, the sin 
uh, the sinfulness of those who follow Babylon and who give themselves over as being people whose sensibility has even been taken away, like someone who is, who is, who is drunk. And uh, there's a pastor I served with that I'll never forget what he said. He, he would say this often. He said, when we think about it, sin is really a form of insanity. Sin is a form of insanity. He said, because sin is ultimately self-destructive. And when people want to hurt themselves, we tend to want to intervene and, and get them to stop doing that. And yet sin, by its nature, is self-destructive. And that just kind of, I, I always hear uh, his name, uh, the pastor's name was uh, Dr. Zamora. Uh, so I hear Dr. Dr. Z's words coming back um, whenever I read that, that passage about the, the, the maddening wine of her adulteries. So here we are. We can't dismiss the reality of judgment. As, mu- as uncomfortable as, as it is and as, as unpopular as judgment is, and we can't despair and close off the reality of hope. Both are there before us. Um, and aid in what direction we're going to take. Okay, questions, thoughts so far? All right. So here's the second metaphor, the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap longer than you sow. So what we saw first that jumped off the page to me was the the principle of the path. Direction determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Now what we see in chapter 15, I'm sorry, we're still in chapter 14. Uh, We'll get to 15 in a moment. Uh, The latter part of chapter 14, uh, I, I see the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest is you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, you reap longer than you sow. So here we're confronted with two possibilities. The hope of salvation that's represented by the grain harvest. Now remember what, remember what Paul writes? Do not grow weary in doing good because in due, in due time, for in due time we will reap a harvest. We will reap a harvest. Well, here we go in Revelation, doing the same, uh, you know, kind of following that same, that same motif. Um, the harvest, sowing, the law of the harvest. Two possibilities. The hope of salvation represented by the grain harvest or the threat of judgment, the warning of judgment represented by the grape harvest, which upsets me because I love grapes. But anyway, you know, the metaphor's the metaphor. So here's the question, whereas, whereas last time the question was, um, who are you following, who are you listening to? Okay, which answers the question, where are you headed, who do you trust? In this one, it's, what does your fruit say about your root? What does the fruit about your, the fruit that your life is bearing, and I'm not judging. In fact, we're told not to judge, but Jesus does say, by your fruits, you'll be able to identify a tree. So we're, we're not called to be judges, but fruit inspection is one of the ways that we identify where we really stand with, with things. So what does my fruit, I have to ask this to the, the person staring back at me in the mirror every morning, what the fruit that my life is bearing, because every one of us, we're bearing fruit in our life. Every one of us is bearing fruit. What does the fruit say about the root? Okay, so here we are. These are the two possibilities. What's your fruit reveal about your roots? Uh, verse 14 of chapter 14. I looked 
And there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, looked like a, looked like a dude, all right, with a crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Okay, his sickle, you know, like the Grim Reaper. This is not the Grim Reaper, but it's, you know, a big sickle. All right. And another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who was seated on the cloud swung his, uh, his, his wickle. I don't know what tool that is, but he swung his sickle, let's go with that, sickle <laughs> over the earth and the earth was harvested, the grain harvest. Okay, the... Offering of the first fruits is reminiscent of that. There are so many promises in, in Revelation and in Scripture itself of reaping what we sow. And if the seed of the gospel takes root in our life, then that is what will be sown. So many promises, so many warnings, so many assurances. And see, the, the promises are there to assure us. I, I need to fall back on the promises of God whenever, uh, I'm, whenever I doubt, whenever I'm discouraged, whenever I'm disappointed or confused or, or sad or whatever, whenever I'm growing weary. I need to fall back on the promises of God because in those promises is the assurance of of, of what is, what is going to be harvested? Which, which harvest am I going to be part of? Well, the seed of the gospel, if the seed of the good news has taken root in my heart and in my life, and it's bearing fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then which harvest am I going to be part of? And the reason assurance is so good is because assurance is way better than anxiety. <laughs> assurance is so much better than anxiety. And so here are all these promises about God taking us to be with him, identifying himself with us. But there's another harvest here. Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to the one who had the sickle. Take your sharp sickle, be very careful there, and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. Okay, you remember the battle hymn of the Republic? This is, you know, the grapes of wrath. Yeah, so that's kind of where this, where this comes from. Um, Verse 19, the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And they were trampled in the winepress. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Okay. Um, who sings that song, Kevin? I don't know, someone other than me. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as horses' bridles, for a distance of 1,600 stadia. That's a long, that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of judgment. See, promises are meant to assure us of God's love and God's grace and God's provision. Warnings are intended to stop us in our tracks. Warnings should shake us. Warnings should 
should disrupt us and disturb us. Warnings are meant to disrupt us. And whereas assurance is better than anxiety, disruption is way better than destruction. And so here's this warning. We're confronted with two possibilities. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. You're going to reap longer than you sow. What's, what's being, what's the harvest? What's the harvest of your life? This is a, this is a pretty serious warning. And so we have these two things, but the third part and the, the, the last part for the summer, cry, 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 uh, is the tenacity of grace. It's the principle of the path, it's the law of the harvest, but never count out the tenacity of grace. And here's the tenacity of grace. And this, is the, this tenacity is what gives us any type of decision and choice at all. It's that Christ never stops calling while the clock is running. Remember that gospel that was going out to all the earth? Still going out to all the earth. Still being proclaimed. Is your life living it out loud? Okay, and are you acting upon it? Law of the harvest is in full effect. What are we sowing in this world? And what does the fruit we're bearing say about what we're rooted to and who we're rooted to? But in the meantime, if we find that our direction is, is that, that our direction isn't pointing toward the destination that, that we want or that God is calling us to, and, and if the fruit of our life is, is such that it's demonstrating that we're rooted to something or someone other than the lamb, then grace steps in to give us the opportunity to respond to the call of God, to respond to the good news of Jesus. So now we're in chapter 15, finally. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. In other words, one more chance. One more chance. So here is another exit on the path to destruction. We've seen this all throughout the book of Revelation. A third of the earth's gonna be destroyed. A third of humanity's gonna be, gonna be killed. A third of the river's gonna dry up, da-da-da-da-da. And then what did it end up being? 10% of a city. You know, warnings, warnings, warnings. But if you respond, there's an exit ramp on the path to destruction. Are you gonna take the exit ramp? Or are you gonna keep headed uh, down, down the way? So here's another exit on the path to destruction. Here's another chance to replant your roots and I want you to listen to this closely. I wrote, I wrote this down. God does not want the nations of the world deceived into alliances with the powers of evil, but neither does he want the nations to be destroyed. Okay? He doesn't want the nations of the world deceived into alliances with the power of evil, and if they are, he will deal with the powers of evil and whoever is aligned with them. But he doesn't want the nations to be destroyed. Instead, God's desire is for change so that the nations join in the celebration of grace. So verse two, I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast in its image 
and over the uh, and and over the number of its name they held harps given them by god and sang the song of god's servant moses and of the lamb now for this um we got to go back to exodus 15 god's people are not singing here about their own deliverance but they're celebrating god's position as king who are you following right so this is the song of Moses in Exodus 15, but unlike Exodus 15, where the focus is on the destruction of their enemies, Revelation 15 focuses on the conversion of the world. So listen, and, and, and everything that I read in verses one through four of Revelation 15, these are phrases from Psalm 111, Deuteronomy 32, Jeremiah 10, and Psalm 86, and Psalm 98. It's all kind of mashed up there together, right? Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. See, this is what God wants. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So these repeated visions of heavenly celebration, because we're seeing them again and again and again throughout Revelation. These repeating visions of heavenly celebration stress, this is the future John desires because this is where the lamb wants people to be. Have you thought about that? When we sang earlier, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us. I hope we never get over the fact that singing in the celebration choir of creation is where the lamb wants you to be. That's where the lamb who was slain for you, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, yours and mine, that's where he wants you to be. That's where he wants you. And so don't ever get over that. I hope we never get over that. After this, as if that wasn't enough, okay, um, I looked up and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened, it was open. Out of the temple came seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one can enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So you see these bookends. Verse one of chapter 15 seven angels with the seven last plagues last because God's wrath is completed when those are poured out. In between, here's the song of the nations, the song of creation, and you've got an invitation to it, and not only that, God has personally said, this is where I want you to be. You've got a part in the choir, you've got a seat at the table. You, I want you here. This is for you. And then on the other uh, bookend of this scene is the temple opened the wrath about to be poured out. And so, here we are with the choices. The wrath is poured out on those who follow the dragon, the beast. The heavenly choir, the song of creation, the, uh, the, the delight, um, the rest, the victory 
is with those who follow the Lamb. The question remains for you and for me, where are you headed? Where are you headed? Don't tell me where you're intending. Where are you headed? What's your fruit say about your root? What, what's, what's your direction say about the destination toward, toward which you are headed? And if it's anything other than toward the Lamb, remember that because of the tenacious grace of Jesus Christ, he will never stop calling out to you as long as the clock is running. But like these angels that are poised to deliver the final wrath of God, there will be a moment when time is up. Don't wait, and don't wait to broadcast and share and shout your, your story to, to the world. So that should hold us over until August, you think? Yeah. Uh, thoughts, questions, uh, comments, um, um, good jokes, Steve, good jokes. <laughs> Funny jokes. Make sense, clear as mud, Not, make no sense. It is heavy. You know, Revelation, walk in the park. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So uh, when we're done with Revelation, what do you want to talk about? Remember, I, was, that was the homework from last week. What do you want to talk about? Jesse said, anything that I choose to talk about will be perfect. And so I don't, I don't know how you improve on that, but you know. Um, Y'all can keep thinking about it. You don't have to tell me. Um, but I can tell you the, the end of the story of the book of Revelation is uh, the lamb wins. Okay? The lamb wins. So follow the lamb. Follow the lamb. Okay? All right, let's pray, and I'll hang around for, for a few. And um, just remember, still come back next week. We won't have this part um, unless, I don't know, Jess, do you want to take it next week? Great. Thank you so much. Jess will be here next week. Uh, <laughs> um, I, but I will. I'll just I'll type it up. All you got to do is read it. Okay. All right. No. Um, no. We'll 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 pick up again. But uh, come next week for worship, and then that will that will wrap it up for Wednesday nights all together for the month of July. We'll take a break, and then uh, we'll we'll come back. Uh, I think first week of August. All right. Let's pray, and I'll hang around for uh, for. Uh, extracurricular. Lord, thank you for how tenacious your grace is. Your grace is wonderful. Your grace is amazing. Your grace is unfathomable. And like we sang earlier, if, if, if your grace is an ocean, we're drowning in it. And we praise you for that. Um, but Lord, you, your grace is also tenacious. You never give up. You never stop calling. You are also clear in your call that time is limited. Time is limited either by our mortality or it's limited by when you are gonna bring all things to an end. Either way, Lord, help us to be very, very clear by examining the, the fruit in our lives and by paying close attention to the direction our life is taking to determine where we're headed and who we're rooted to. Thank you so much that by your grace, um, you allow us to replant our roots. You allow us to change direction. Help us to do that through repentance and through following you and 
through believing and applying your good news to our lives. This we ask through the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Amen. Thanks, y'all.